So today we finish uh, this sub-series in the book of Matthew that we've entitled Jesus is Different, the ways that we see the uniqueness of Jesus, that he's just different than everyone else. As we talk about it and finish it today, we want to talk about this idea of the new demonstrated. There are sermon notes in your bulletins. You can fill in uh, the blanks. There'll be some simple blanks up on the screen that you can fill in. A phrase that I heard a lot growing up, and you may have heard it, you may say it yourself, is this. If you talk the talk, then you better be able to walk the walk, right? If you talk the talk, you better be able to walk the walk. In other words, your actions better be able to back up the words that you have spoken. Last week, we saw Jesus talking about the new, that there was something new coming. He talked about this in relation to fasting, that John's disciples came to Jesus and his disciples and said, why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And so Jesus explained to them that when the bridegroom's there, there's no need to fast. And so he expanded their understanding. They had incomplete understanding. He then went on to tell two separate illustrations. One was you don't put an unshrunk patch of cloth on a torn garment because that patch, when it is first washed, then will begin to shrink and rip away from the garment, and it'll be worse. That the old cannot fix the new. And in the same way, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because if you do, those wineskins will burst. They will not be able to contain all of the chemical reaction that's taking place and fermenting that new wine. New skins are needed for new wine. And so we talked, too, about the fact that the old cannot contain the new. You need a new system. You need a new work, a new way of relating to Jesus, to God that Jesus was bringing. So Jesus, in the midst of doing this, demonstrates that he's not just about talking the talk, that he is one who is walking the walk of the new that he just talked about. Verse 18 shows us this. It says, while he was saying this, what was he just saying? He was saying all of these things about the old and the new, the old, uh, the, the old garment and the unshrunk patch, the new wine and the new wineskins. He's talking about the new. And as he is in the midst of talking about this, these events happen. We're able to see the new not just talked about, but the new demonstrated. Jesus walked the walk. And he demonstrates the newness of the kingdom. This morning, we want to look briefly at two ways that Jesus demonstrated the newness that he was speaking of, and then our response to it. So let's begin with the first demonstration of Jesus walking the walk, not just talking about it. We see Jesus demonstrate the new by embracing the outcasts. Matthew records four miraculous interactions that Jesus has with people. 
The first begins in verse 18. Mark, the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke help us to understand these accounts are in those gospels as well. Understand that this was Jairus, a synagogue ruler, a religious ruler, and he brings and he comes to Jesus because he says, Jesus, my daughter has just died. But if you come and you lay your hand on her, she will live again. And so in this first interaction, Jesus encounters Jairus, and he says yes. And he and his disciples follow Jairus, along with the crowd that had been there that he had been speaking these to. They all begin to make their way. Imagine you hear that this man's, who would have been known, his daughter dies, and Jesus says, I'll come. (laughs) Uh, If I was in the crowd, I'd be like, I got to see this. And so the first interaction of, is with Jairus on the way to meeting his dead daughter. But on the way, verses 20 to 21 tell us that there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This bleeding would have been menstrual bleeding. And Mark and Luke tell us that she was at her wit's end. She had seen doctors. She had spent her resources. And yet of all the earthly help, of all the medical help, of all the help that money could buy, no one was able to help her. And so as this large crowd is following Jesus and Jairus and the disciples on the way to Jairus' house, she presses in through the crowd. I don't know if she muscled her way through. I kind of doubt it because she touches eventually the hem of his garment. So very likely she was on her hands and knees making her way, weaving her way through the crowd to just come to touch the hem of his garment. She thinks, if I can, I might be healed. A fourth interaction that Jesus has is with two blind men who are crying out, have mercy on us, son of David, in verse 27. They were unable to see. Their lives were hindered by their blindness. And the fourth interaction that Jesus has with the people is in verse 32, as there is this man brought to him who is afflicted by a demonic spirit who is keeping this man from being able to speak. He is mute, unable to speak as a result of this demonic affliction. Four interactions. All four of these would have been what commentator Michael Green says would have been classified as people of the land. People of the land. Now you might hear that and go, oh, they're all farmers. They're all agricultural workers. They're people of the land. But people of the land was not a good connotation. The people of the land was a term that was used by the rabbis of the day to refer to the unprivileged, to the outcasts, and to the unholy. 
They were those who were out in the land. Not working, they were out because they were not part of the in crowd. And not only were they the ones who were out there, they were determined by the rabbis and by the law in many ways to be unclean. This young daughter of Jairus was unclean. No one could touch a dead body without being unclean. This woman who had been subject to 12 years of unending bleeding because of her bleeding would have been unclean. These two blind men were outsiders. They were outcasts. They were not looked upon as the same way as everyone else. This man who was demonized and unable to speak, he would have been an outsider, an outcast. These were the people of the land. And not just that they were the people of the land who were unholy and unclean and unprivileged and outcast, but the rabbis clearly taught in that day that they were not just unholy, unprivileged, outcasts, people of the land, but that there was no way for them to become holy, for them to be welcomed in. This was their position in life. They would always be outcasts. Now imagine, in the midst of all of this, here is Jesus, who just got finished talking about the newness that he is bringing. His kingdom is a new kingdom. His work in relating to the Father is a new way of relating to the Father through the cross. His work is going to bring a newness in relationship to one another. And he doesn't just talk about it. He goes and immediately God sovereignly brings these opportunities to demonstrate it. Because while everyone else would have had nothing to do with a dead body and an unclean woman and two blind men, and a demonized mute man, Jesus does something completely new, completely outside of the system of the day. He embraces each one of them. He touches them or allows there to be him touched by them. He goes to them. He listens to them. This would have been completely new. For us, we read it and go, well, that's cool. Jesus did some miracles. But if we don't understand that these people would have never been around the religious leaders, if we don't understand that these people would have never had hope to be around the worship of God in the temple, if we don't understand that these people were the outcasts of the outcasts, these are just four cool miracles that Jesus did. But Jesus doesn't just talk about the new. He demonstrates it. He not only will, as in a moment, heal, but he is present. We haven't even got to November yet, but you know it's coming. I was in Lowe's on Friday, and the Christmas decorations were up already. So you know Christmas movie season is just around the corner. And one of the Christmas movies that I was brought to my mind immediately as I'm thinking about this is the spinoff from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer of Rudolph and the Island of Misfit Toys. 
Rudolph visits the island of misfit toys, toys that have a strange quirk that makes them feel like no child would ever want them. No child would ever want to play with them. If you were watching Rudolph and the island of misfit toys, you might as well throw this dead girl and this woman with the bleeding for 12 years and the blind men and the mute man, throw them on the island too. This is what we're dealing with. And yet Jesus meets them. Some of you may feel like one of those misfit toys. Some of you may feel like one of the people of the land. Some of you may feel like one of those outcasts. And the thing is that you may think of yourself that way and no one knows it. Or no one would ever look at you that way. It may be something about your physical appearance or your personality that you just don't like. Maybe it's something about your mental capacity, about that you view of yourself that you would say, I'm not like everyone else. Maybe it's words that have been said about you by family or friends. Words that you have believed, phrases that you have believed like I'm stupid or I'm a failure or I'm worthless. The list could go on. Maybe you have been one of the large percentage in our culture that has been abused, whether physically or emotionally or sexually. The kinds of things that we often find that people keep to themselves that no one knows that that happened to Maybe it's an issue of sexuality, of viewing pornography, or you know your thought life isn't right. Or maybe deep down you struggle with things like same-sex attraction and you wonder, what in the world could Jesus ever love me? You see yourself as an outcast. You see yourself as a person of the land. And you may show up every Sunday And you may go through a worship service. You may interact with others. But deep down, the message that you have is, I'm an outcast. Jesus would not want me. Friends, here's the good news. That we need to understand that Jesus has brought something new. Jesus is different to Jesus You are not an outcast. Jesus doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. And he doesn't just embrace, but he's one who is able to meet us at the point of our need. Jesus heals the outcast. He demonstrates the newness not just in talking about healing, but in actually doing it. In verse 22, on the way to Jairus' house, the woman comes and making her way through the crowd, touches the hem, the outermost edge of Jesus' garment. Mark and Luke say, in a little bit more expanded version of the story, they say something really interesting, that Jesus pauses in the midst of walking, and he pauses, and he says, who touched me? 
Imagine, there's a huge crowd. <laughs> people are pressing in on Jesus. There are lots of people touching him. If you've seen movies about this, you got almost like some depictions, you almost have these like bodyguards of Jesus. The disciples are like bodyguards around him, like for, make way for Jesus. There's people pressing in, crushing in, and Jesus stops and he goes, who touched me? And his disciples go, what do you mean who touched me? There's a lot of people touching you. And he says, no, someone touched me. I felt power go out of me. Jesus is different. And as the power leaves him, he says to her, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Her life has changed. He continues on for that reason that he was on that way and he comes to the house of Jairus and everyone is there and in Jesus's day they would have friends and family and sometimes they would even hire professional mourners who would gather at the house of a person who had died and they would be outside and they would have loud music and flutes they would be wailing loudly there was no doubt that there was grief going on and as Jesus comes and the crowd is following him to Jesus' house, he says, go away. In other words, there's, there's no reason for you to be here. You don't need to be here because she's just sleeping. And all the people just start laughing. Oh, Jesus, you're crazy. She's dead. We've confirmed it. We've been mourning. We've been loud and carrying on. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. And he says, no, go away. So once the people had left, we're told in verses 23 to 26 that he goes up. Mark and Luke tell us that it's not all the disciples. It's parents, just his inner few. Peter, James, and John, they come up. And he touches her by the hand. He says, get up. Luke tells us that her spirit returned to her. And she gets up. A dead girl, who should not have been touched, raised back to life. Verses 28 to 30. You have these two blind men who are calling out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus continues on his way and goes indoors. We don't know exactly where it was, but when he had gone indoors, it says in verse 28, the blind men then came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it's done to you. And they received their sight. What had caused them to be an outcast, he touches and he restores their sight. 
And in verse 33, the mute man being brought to Jesus, Jesus doesn't just deal with the symptom. He deals with the cause. He drives the demon out. And as the demon is driven out, he is able, this man is able to speak again. Jesus heals the outcast. Jesus did not just talk the talk. He walked the walk. He demonstrated what he spoke about. The new had come. Last week at the end of the message, I asked if you were willing to say yes to the new thing that Jesus is doing. Sometimes we don't always know what that's going to mean and the fullness of that new thing, but the question is, do I say yes? Whatever the new thing is, is my answer yes. Jesus can do amazing things with our yeses. But today we see how we access the new thing. Last week it was about willingness. Are we willing? Today is how do we access the new thing that he is doing. And the way that we access the new thing that he is doing is to reach out and touch Jesus by faith. To reach out and touch Jesus by faith. Faith is the key. To the woman subject to bleeding, Jesus says in verse 22, your faith has healed you. To Jairus, in Luke chapter 8, verse 50, the parallel passage to this Matthew passage, Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and your daughter will be healed. To the two blind men, he asks them in verse 28, do you believe that I am able to do this? And someone in this demonized mute man's life believed that Jesus was able Someone had faith because they brought him to Jesus. Faith is the key. Faith is the key that releases and gives access to the new thing that Jesus wants to do. But it's faith not in the thing that we want him to do. It is faith in the person of Jesus. Understand that. The object of our faith is absolutely crucial. Our faith is not just, I believe it, I'm going to believe hard enough. I believe it, I believe it. No, our faith is, I believe Jesus, that you are able. My faith is in you. Our faith is in Jesus for salvation, that what he did on the cross, our faith is in him, that his work on the cross is sufficient, that his blood shed, as we sang this morning, his blood shed on the cross is sufficient to wash our sins away, to make us innocent before God, to be made a new creation. It is faith in the work and the person of Jesus, and it is faith in Jesus at all times for the new thing. Jesus is the object of our faith. We access him by coming into his presence by faith. We reach out to Jesus 
to seek him, to touch him, to long for him, to place our hope, our dependence on him. Faith is the key. Let me give you a few things to know real quick as you would reach out and touch Jesus by faith. Three things. First thing to know, I think we can see in this passage, is that most will not reach out and touch Jesus by faith. Most will not. How do I know that? The crowds at Jairus' house that had been following him, that were assembled there and had followed to see what's going to happen, what did they do? They laughed. They laughed at Jesus. On their way to Jairus' house, the crowds were pressing in around him, but there was only one person who accessed his power. One person. Only one person, that woman, had faith in him to such a degree that power left him for healing. Only one person. The blind men, they had faith. Others did not. So much so that at the end, the Pharisees in verse 34 said that it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. The Pharisees had zero faith in Jesus. In fact, they actually attributed what he was doing to demons doing demon exorcism. Talk about lack of faith. Reach out and touch Jesus by faith, but know that most will not. Second thing to know as you reach out and touch Jesus by faith is that it takes some effort. It takes some effort. Jairus had to come to Jesus. He had to seek Jesus out. And then when it was the time for Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead, he said, do not be afraid. He had to cast off fear. He had to deal with all of the anxieties and worries and doubts and struggles. He had to cast off all of his fear. Don't be afraid, Jesus said. Just believe. There was some effort that Jairus had to do. He had to ignore all the naysayers. All those people who were saying, what are you talking about? She's dead. She's not asleep. She's dead. Imagine a synagogue ruler who everyone is looking at. He's putting everything on the line. <laughs> when everyone thinks he's crazy for going to get Jesus, it took some risk. It took some effort. The woman also had to take a risk. What would happen if I touch his garment? Is he going to yell at me? Is he going to say, how dare you? I'm an outcast. How dare an unclean woman touch me? There's some risk. There was some effort. She had to fight her way through a crowd just to get to the hem of Jesus' garment. Those, those blind men who followed called out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me, had to then follow him into the house. They didn't just say, hey, Lord, have mercy, and then he continued on. They said, no, we're going to follow him. We're going to come into the house. We're going to talk to him face to face. There was effort involved. 
The mute man had to have others take effort and intentionality to bring him to Jesus. Reaching out and touching Jesus by faith takes effort. Takes intentionality. It takes asking. And when you've asked and you haven't received, it takes seeking. And when you've seeked and you haven't, and when you sought and you haven't yet received, it takes knocking until you encounter Jesus. The point is, reaching out and touching Jesus by faith, accessing his presence, doesn't just happen. We are so accustomed as Westerners to get what we want immediately. If I have a question, I can just pull out my phone and figure it out and as fast as Google can throw it up there. If I want some food and I stop at McDonald's, <laughs> if it's like two minutes, I'm going, come on, hurry up. Why am I waiting so long, right? We live in a world of such instantaneous access to things. That is not how Jesus works. <laughs> We want the drive-by touch from Jesus. We want to show up on Sunday morning and have our lives revolutionized and then go after our hour and a half of church and go through our week and have everything we need because we were here for an hour and a half. We need to be here for the hour and a half or longer, but we need effort and intentionality and seeking and reaching and touching and hunger and thirst to go after the presence of Jesus. It doesn't just happen. I've rarely found anyone who gets depth in the presence of Jesus, in the river of his presence, who does not pay a price by casting off the things of this world, who gives themselves to the pursuit of Jesus. It takes some effort. But the third thing I think we need to know when we reach out and touch Jesus by faith is that in all of that, when most will not, when it does take some effort, is that it is absolutely, totally worth it. In each case, the healing of Jesus brought total life change. Accessing the presence of Jesus is more than worth it. Jesus did not just talk the talk of the new. He demonstrated it. He walked the walk. Going to the outcasts, healing the outcasts, being present. And he offers himself to us still today. In the last moment, I just want to share with you. We finished a two-week fast as a church. And I know that uh, it's wasn't possible for everyone and we had nights of worship and prayer we continue to have nights of worship and prayer on Wednesday nights at 6 30 where we just seek the presence of Jesus and I realize that not everyone is able to come to all of those but this past Wednesday at the end of our two-week fast we spent some time at the end of our time of worship and prayer just to listen to what the Lord had been speaking, either during that night or over the two weeks. And I just want to take a moment because I believe it's 
important for all of us, whether you were able to be there or not, because I believe these are the things that Jesus is speaking to us as a church family. So as we completed that two-week fast, I believe there are a number of important words that the Lord spoke. And overarching all of those things that he said was this phrase. It doesn't stop here, but it is starting here. It doesn't stop here. Sometimes we think, oh, we did our two-week fast. We're done. It stopped. We did our thing. And what the Lord was clearly saying was, it didn't stop at the end of 14 days. That's just the beginning. Something that was shared in a number of different ways that the Lord was stirring out is that there is a deep desperation about our need for God and for deeper intimacy with him. All we have to do is look at our lives Look at our community, look at our state, look at our country, look at our world. We see chaos all around. I don't know about you, but if there's ever a time where we would say, we need you, it's now. We always have needed him, but we are aware of that deep desperation, that deep need for him. But at the same time, there is a sense of we don't quite know how to receive we don't quite know how, Lord, do you fix a broken world? How, Lord, do you fix the brokenness of our lives and our community and our state and our country? How, Lord, do we do this? How, Lord, do you pour out yourself in a fresh way for our congregation? How do you do it? And you know what? I don't think we quite know that yet. And that's okay. Because we don't come to him just for the answers. We don't come to him just for what he can give to us or what we need him to give to us. We come to him first and foremost for him. And if he's just a divine vending machine that fixes our problems, we're going to be off doing our own thing soon. I believe what the Lord is doing, what was coming up in the midst of the fast, is he is coming and inviting us into this deep desperation where we hunger and thirst and our soul cries out, oh God, we need you. And I believe that there is still a lot more that God is doing to strip away stuff to expose the depth of our desperation. But like Jairus and the woman the two blind men and the mute man. It takes some effort. It will take two words that were used, were perseverance and consistency. I don't know about you, but perseverance and consistency are not fun words to me. They're not easy words. Those are effort words. Those are challenge words taking an ongoing seeking and reaching out to Jesus that will draw us deep into his presence. I think we've known, but the Lord is confirming that he longs for us to be a people of his presence who live in the river of his presence and go deeper and deeper and deeper in the river of his presence 
so that we will be able to carry his presence. I don't know about you, but I realize more and more I don't have anything to give if it's not Jesus. So we go deep in desperation, perseverance, consistently seeking after him that we might go into the depths of the river of his presence. And out of that, out of that, we will be carriers of his presence. We'll have something to give. The more we carry of him, the more we have to give away. Jesus is different. And more than just concepts about Jesus, he's offering us himself. I want to just take our ending time just to be seeking Jesus. To reach out this morning in hunger and in desperation to touch him by faith. We may have our things that we are bringing to him, but more than what we bring to him, it's our need for him, our need for him. So as we would prepare to just sing this last song, I want to use it as a prayer, use it as opportunity just to seek after Jesus by faith. Let's pray. Jesus, you are doing something new. But more than even the new thing, we desire you. Lord, would you teach us? Would you teach us how to reach out and touch you by faith? how to access the river of your presence in increasingly deeper and deeper ways. Lord Jesus, meet us even as we spend these moments together. In your name I pray.